0: For an international city, this is Radio 3. Very good morning to you. Welcome to a holiday-shortened week here in Hong Kong. The Times 8.03 on Monday the 30th of May. And this is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. Financial Secretary Paul Chan warned yesterday that Hong Kong must be prepared for geopolitical risks. He said that the world was undergoing major changes unseen in a century. And the geopolitical situation continues to be tense. As a fully open international financial centre, Hong Kong must make different preparations and plans for various risks. He also accused the United States of weaponising financial markets. He said the recent Russian-Ukrainian conflict has made it clear how the U.S. has weaponized the U.S. dollar and some international financial systems. These blatantly distorted and interfered in the functioning of the international financial markets, he claims. Shanghai plans to end plans to end a two-month citywide lockdown on June the 1st in a gradual and phased manner. On Sunday, Vice Mayor Wei Ching announced that companies in Shanghai will no longer need to be on a whitelist to resume production starting from June the 1st as part of a package of 50 measures aimed at stabilising the city's economy, including tax rebates, faster approval for new property projects and an increase in the quota for car ownership. Profits at China's industrial firms fell at their fastest pace in two years in April as high raw material prices and supply chain chaos caused by COVID-19 curbs squeezed markets and disrupted factory activity. Profits sank 8.5% from a year earlier, swinging from a more than 12% gain in March. And industrial output from the commercial hub of Shanghai nosedived 61.5% in April in the united states the core personal consumption expenditures price index which is the fed's preferred measure of inflation rose 4.9 percent in april in line with estimates and down from the 5.2% pace seen the previous month. Headline PCE rose just 0.2%, a sharp reduction from March's 0.9% increase. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson of IMA Asia and Nitin Dialdis from Mandarin Capital. With a view from mainland China, is Ben Callender at the China Market Research Group. And let me give you an update on the markets. Clearly, my uh, my, my jingles aren't working this morning properly. On Wall Street, stock, stocks rallied on Friday following signs of moderating inflation, finishing with weekly gains. For the first time in about two months, the S&P 500 gained 2.5% to 4,158. For the week, it was up 6.6%. That's the best week since November 2020. The Dow climbed 576 points, or 1.8% to 33,000. 213. The Nasdaq Composite Index jumped 3.3% uh, to 12,131 for a gain of 6.8% over the uh, over the five sessions. It was the first weekly gain for the Dow in 8 weeks and the first for the S&P 500 and Nasdaq in 7 weeks. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index gained 3% last week. London's FTSE 100 rebounded 2.6% over the same period. Chinese tech stocks soared on Friday. as better than expected earnings from Alibaba and Baidu, led to their share prices jumping the most in at least four weeks and sparking a bull-based rally in Hong Kong. Hang Seng Tech Index surged 3.8% on Friday, reducing its losses for the week to 2.3%. And the advance fueled the main Hang Seng Index to a gain of 2.9%, or 581 points, trimming its weekly loss to 0.1%. The index stands at 20,697. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed 0.2% to 3,130. For the week, it's down half a percent. And in the commodities markets, oil prices soared last week, nearing 11-week highs. Brent crude oil was up over 6%. And it's at $118.42 a barrel this morning. Copper gained half a percent over the week. Gold managed a small gain of 0.4% for the week and is at $1,851 an ounce. Treasury yields were lower on the week with the ten year down four basis points at two point seven four percent from a peak of over three percent earlier this year and the US dollar index fell significantly for the second week in a row down 1.3% and closing at six-week lows after hitting a two-decade high earlier this month and the euro is up 1.6% over the week currently at $1.7 and a quarter cents The Japanese yen rose 0.6% to $127.19 versus the greenback. Sterling climbed 1% to $1.26 and a third and nine Hong Kong dollars and 91 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.72 in offshore markets and Bitcoin fell 1% and is at 29,400 this morning. And taking a look around Asian stock markets uh, this morning in Australia, first of all, The ASX200 is up 0.7%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has rallied 1.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is up about 0.9%. Futures markets pointing to a gain of about 300 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. The time's coming up to 8.09. Let's welcome our Monday morning guests with us in the studio here in Lane Broadcasting House. Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter. And over in our Queensway studio, we have Nitin D'Eldis, who is Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Good morning. Um, I suppose it's fair to say uh, the last week wasn't a very good week for, for US China relations as tensions worsened. We had Joe Biden's first visit to Asia since he became um, president, and then a speech from US Secretary of State Antony Blinken setting out the Biden uh, administration's policies towards China. Uh, and then on Friday, we had reports that the US and Taiwan are planning to deepen economic ties. And also China, uh, as Foreign Minister, doing its uh, its tour around the Pacific Islands. Um, let me ask you, first of all, um, Mark, what are companies thinking about these increased tensions between the U.S. and China?
1: Well, it's become part of their part of their daily concerns, and they have to factor it in, and it's and they have more pressure from headquarters in terms of doing that, and have to rethink a little bit about what they're going to be doing in China and the rest of Asia going forward from a geopolitical standpoint, as well as from a business standpoint. That's always been true to some extent, but of course it's it's been uh, ratcheted up quite a lot in the last uh, last few months.
0: Is there any particular aspect of the, this latest slew of developments that, that businesses are, are more concerned about, do you think? Well, that it doesn't look like it's going to lessen, that it's going to ease. And I think
1: that was reinforced by what's happened uh, in the past week. And you you just mentioned, uh, first of all, there's... There, their speeches well Biden's visit the speech by Secretary Blinken which I which I I listened to as well as the new Indo-Pacific econ- economic forum which which is another area that's a little unclear but it puts another another grouping out there that might be might rival existing groupings not sure how it's going to work out but it just adds to the uh, confusion, I think. Yeah, there's to too say. many groups, really. There though, are too many it? too many out there.
0: And they seem to be mainly defined by which ones the U.S. and China are in or not in. That,
1: that's right. And this, this is one that China is not in, but so many have joined. Mm. And uh, I think we're up to 14 now since Fiji just joined as well. But there's not much of a commitment to join because there are not many specifics associated with it.
0: Um, Nitin, what, what do you make of all of this? Are, are, you, are you worried about this worsening of geopolitical tensions? Is it something that you think uh, investors and businesses need to focus on more?
2: I, mean, I think it's been going around since Trump's come into power, hasn't it? I mean, it's been an escalation or, uh, since then, but I think we've been living with it since then, uh, since Trump's been uh, in power and then now Biden's taken over. And I think you've got to look at it in two ways. Obviously, there's the geopolitical tension, especially over Taiwan, which you know, seems to be the biggest concern at the moment. But I think from an ec- economic point of view, there's also maybe looking at reducing tariffs. So if you're playing like, the economy or the markets, may, you know, in a way to reduce inflation, they're looking at maybe reducing some of the tariffs. So there's two streams that we're going down at the moment. Um, so it's, it is a little bit of, I mean, there is confusion in the market, but I think it's more because they're not really sure which one to play at this point.
1: Just one comment on that: reducing tariffs, obviously a big issue. There appears to be some disagreement within the Biden administration because Janet Yellen has been pretty, pretty public about her views about that the tariffs are counterproductive. Where there are apparently others within the administration that are uh, that want to keep them to some extent, and it's very difficult if they need congressional approval to move it forward. Mm. So this adds to the uh, uncertainty, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. It's just total confusion because no one knows which way it's going, and all across the board. Um, and we all know markets hate confusion, so.
0: Uh, it isn't also one of the ways you said Trump started this, which is true, but the Biden administration doesn't seem to have done anything to really reduce tensions. When you look at that Blinken speech, it's all about confronting China rather than trying to find areas where it can engage with. And then also, to be fair, China isn't doing anything either to reduce t- tensions. It never seems to acknowledge that other countries do have concerns about some of its behaviors and looking at ways in which that could be maybe addressed. No one seems to be diffusing things. Well, don't
2: forget. I mean, one of the big things about when they were battling it out between Trump and Biden was Trump always saying Biden's going to be soft on China. So he can't seem to be soft. So that administration has to show some sort of strength against it. And, you know, they're, they're living up to that. Um, Unfortunately, in America, it's always about if we're going to get re-elected or elected. So even now, while we're in the middle of his term, there's still going to always be that thought where we were told that we were going to be soft on China. We're going to show them we can't be soft on China. So I think that plays a little bit of a part. Plus, I mean, U.S. has their ideals and they're trying to implant it on certain parts of the world. China's got their ideals. They don't match. So there's always going to be that clash at the moment.
1: I th- Secretary Blinken outlined that in his speech. He said, "What our strength here at home." And he said, "Competitiveness, innovation, and democracy," and that underlines the last point that was just made because that's the difference. And that's part of the alignment. He also said, "Invest, align, and compete." He didn't say, as you said, Peter, he didn't say engage, mm-hmm. which has often been part of uh, part of U.S. strategy and others. And I don't think it's part of either strategy at the moment. And with the initiative, Chinese initiative in the Pacific, with the Pacific Islands now, and um, and other issues in the U.S. going in its own direction, it makes it much more difficult. Not impossible, because there's still important areas of cooperation. And actually, the Chinese ambassador in the U.S. outlined some of those, mm. including climate change. And he also mentioned uh, vaccines and health care. There doesn't seem to be much progress there. But uh, still, those are areas where we, we, we certainly can and should cooperate.
0: Let me get your thoughts on what Financial Secretary Paul Chan said um, over the weekend. He warned that Hong Kong must be prepared for geopolitical risks. He said that the world was undergoing major changes unseen in a century and the geopolitical situation continues to be tense. As a fully open international financial centre, Hong Kong must make different preparations and plans for various risks. He also accused the United States of weaponizing financial markets. He said the recent Russian-Ukrainian conflict has made it clear how the US has weaponized the US dollar and some international financial systems. These blatantly distorted and interfered in the functioning of the international financial markets. What do you make of that?
2: Fully open economy? I mean, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, last I checked, we had quarantines, restrictions and a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make us fully open. But anyway, let's move on from that. Yeah. Um, I think with, again, you know, weaponizing the US dollar, we're pegged to the US dollar. So are are you now trying to say that we don't want to be pegged to the US dollar? We're trying to look at alternatives? I don't think that's going to happen. So what are we actually trying to say? Yes, there is geopolitical tensions. There's always geopolitical tensions. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. That's been going on since day dot. So I don't think anything you said is anything that people don't really know. Um, And if I was Paul Chan, I'd actually try and look at how do we solve. Hong Kong, because as I said, since I've come back, I've noticed even over the last five, five, six months, it's gotten a lot quieter, there's a lot less people around, and there are serious economic issues that Hong Kong has to address, and that's got nothing to do with geopolitical, that's just pure domestic um, situation, which they can or cannot resolve, depending on you know, how we look at it.
0: So do you think it's his saying this to try and deflect maybe from some of the problems with the domestic economy? Oh, for sure.
2: I think, you know, the 0 covid policy doesn't work for a place like Hong Kong, which is trying to be international. Um, but you, you, without speaking out, you're going to try and deflect and you're not going to say, yeah, we noticed that there are all these issues. So how best to do it? Let's just say there are all these other issues and then maybe people will focus on these other issues and not actually look at what's going on domestically.
1: No, I agree. I mean, the geopolitical tensions obviously have are, are very, very high, and are they the highest in, in a long time? Maybe, maybe. And we're in a very difficult situation, but at the same time, have to look at ways to diffuse that mm-hmm. and to look for engagement. And I don't think either side is looking for engagement mm-hmm. at this time, which makes the situation that much worse i think
0: i mean he made the point that sanctions are distorting the the functioning of the financial markets i mean it is true isn't it that yeah of course. these sanctions yeah. are having an effect because we're seeing that with things like global fuel prices uh, and food prices in particular which affects everyone
1: yeah of course and of course part of this is you know you have to why are they there and you know the other side is arguing that because there's a war in, in Ukraine, and you've got to do something to try to, to try to calm that down, and maybe that's one way of doing it. it. may not be, but it's one of those areas. The other area of sanctions, of course, is restricting uh, various officials from talking to each other, mm. which I personally think is counterproductive. Even if you disagree, I don't see how you can make any progress unless you, you do engage.
0: And said, of course, the thing he admits from saying there is that how have these sanctions come about Well, they've come about because Russia invaded an independent, sovereign nation in blatant breach of international law? And if they were to withdraw, then maybe these sanctions could, be, could also be withdrawn. Yeah,
2: um, but again, as Mark keeps saying, it's a bad engagement. I mean, how, how, how do you end this war unless they start talking to each other? Mm. You know, having Putin, Zelensky, even if it needs a mediator, in that, whoever it be, you need to start talking to each other and try and work out how do we solve this and you know this has now been going on for like, three four months and nothing's being done everyone's just kind of sitting back watching letting any you know russia do whatever it wants to do and not really trying to get anyone in front of maybe i'm being a little bit harsh but no one's trying to make too much of an effort to get anyone on, on, around a table and sort it out yeah. so yeah inflation persists because oil prices gas prices are high I mean, obviously there's a European reliance on gas and Russia being the main supplier. That's a massive issue. Um, So yeah, until they sit down and talk and try and resolve the the issue around Ukraine and Russia. Um, But again, there's more to it. It's not just Ukraine, Russia. There's supply chain issues. There's a whole bunch of other issues that we're not fully addressing. And supply chain issues isn't down to war. It's down to certain policies. So um, there's a lot of things that we could potentially resolve. Um, without necessarily just sort, uh, looking just at the Russia and Ukraine situation, that could potentially some of the issues that we've got.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum uh, framework it's uh, it does talk about four pillars, and some of them just mentioned: supply chain resiliency, clean energy and decarbonization, tax and anti-corruption, and trade. the The issues are: is how do you move forward on those? And those are important issues, but there isn't. Uh, There isn't substance there, and it it contrasts with the kind of things that are happening in Asia, Hmm. Uh, RCEP and uh, and CPTPP. And Asia tends to really prefer trade agreements, especially those that reduce tariffs. And for the U.S., that's a real problem. It's not only philosophical, but it's political because –
0: uh, you've got to get those through Congress in many cases. Now, when you mentioned policies, some of the domestic policies in China. Um, on the economy, there's an article, and an editorial in The Economist, and also a much longer article that follows that, called how, which is entitled How uh, President Xi Jinping is Damaging China's Economy. And it goes on about some of the policies that it's worried about. In summary... And what it says is that there's two problems. Um, One is the zero COVID policy, um, with uh, China struggling to grow faster than America for the first time since 1990. And it points out that Western vaccines are banned. And there's 100 million Chinese over the age of 60, not yet triple jabbed. And the second problem is President Xi's ideological approach to economic policy. Um, It says the, the, uh, the aims are rational, tackling inequality, monopolies and debt. Um, but the way in which it's been done um, is to expand uh, the size of the least productive part of the economy, which is the government-run one, and then shrouding the private sector with fines, regulations and, and purges. And it says, for the first time in 40 years, no major sector in China is undergoing, undergoing liberalising reforms. What, what do you make of that, Nitin?
2: I think, yeah, this whole movement for common prosperity, complete nationalisation and not really... Uh, requiring much assistance from the international markets has proved to be very flawed. And I think they're now starting to realise that, certainly in the last few months. The problem is, with zero COVID, you're not allowing anyone in, you're not allowing, I mean, too many people out, there's very strict quarantine measures if people leave and try and come back. So you're not actually inviting uh, anyone to come back and sort out You know where the issues have been seen now. And I think that's why you're seeing that little bit of a battle now between Li Keqiang and um, Xi Jinping, because Li Keqiang's constantly talking about the fact they need to start getting the economy back on track, whereas Xi's very much about the zero COVID. And you know, I understand you you don't have a hospital system that allows for a massive outbreak of COVID. You know, it will cause a lot of deaths, and there will be a lot of stress to you over that. I, I I understand that. But similarly, you don't get your economy back on track. You, you know, you've, all these people who've, suddenly, who've been enriched over the last 35, 40 years are now going to start seeing, them, you know, a lot of that uh, wealth that they've accumulated start going the other way. That's not going to make them happy. Um, a lot of economies that have been quite strong, oh, a lot of sectors, they're going to start diminishing. That's not going to make people happy. So you've got a lot of people who will be ha- unhappy domestically just from the economic front as well. So it becomes a battle. And at the moment, there seems to be a battle of ideals between Li Keqiang and uh, Xi Jinping. Um, maybe there's a halfway point I, that they can try and find some sort of balance. But certainly, there are two sides. Uh, there are, there are two uh, mm. policies at play that are causing the problems. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with that economist article for sure.
0: Mark, this this article has got a lot of attention yeah. over the weekend. What what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: and we were, we were talking about that before. It does. Does point out um, what some of the challenges are, and and you know what parts of the economy are are being supported, and and the groups, the government, the SOEs, the the others that that are, which politically doesn't make sense, and you know it's just pointed out there there's a public disagreement over over the direction, and it's it's really important uh, that they they figure out a way to do this. You can stimulate to some degree. But at the same time, some of the basics have to be have to be addressed and they're and they they have to figure out how they're going to do that, which isn't easy in any circumstances. Mm. But when there's even public disagreement, that probably makes it much more difficult.
0: Thank you both very much. That was Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia and Nitin D'Aldis, who's chief investment officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time's 8.25. Let's go over to Shanghai and talk with Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Good morning. Now, last time we spoke, three or four weeks ago, you were very much ensconced in lockdown. Since then, there's been a lot of talk about these lockdowns starting to ease in a phased manner from June the 1st. Any sign of that happening yet?
3: Uh, Very slowly. So I would say the situation on the ground, uh, certainly in Shanghai, is probably still a little bit more locked down than a lot of the the recent news that has come out would suggest. But it is going in the right direction. Um, I'd say probably 80 percent of the people that, that we've spoken with over the past week have now gotten to the point where they're receiving timed passes that allow one individual from the household to leave their compound for a couple of hours a day presumably to go shopping or take care of medical issues or things like that. Um, But the reality is is that most businesses are still uh, very closed here. So it's really sort of a limited opening in the right direction, though I think over the next three weeks or so, we're going to see pretty big changes in that direction.
0: How how often do you have to get tested out of interest? How many tests have you had now? Have you lost count? (laughs) Um,
3: I've honestly lost count at this point. I would say You know, within my compound and district, um, it's probably, on average, a PCR test every other day. Sometimes it'll be three or four days in a row, then a day off. Other times it'll be um, a couple of days when we're not doing the PCR. But if we don't do a PCR test, we do an antigen test. So I'd say, on average, at least one test a day, if not a little bit more than that.
0: And, And how are people in Shanghai, ordinary people, feeling about all this testing, all these lockdowns? Is there still support for the policy? Uh,
3: You know, I'd say there are a couple of different camps. There's definitely an element of the population that have sort of gotten used to this and have said, well, we do this as long as we need to and everything's okay." And now that it's a little bit easier than it had been in the beginning to get access to food, we don't really mind so much. So that element definitely exists. On the other hand, I think there's a very... Uh, increasingly vocal element that is sort of saying, this is ridiculous. We need to get on with our lives. We need to be able to go outside, do our business, all of these things. And that that group is definitely getting, getting quite a bit louder, certainly in the last week or so. So I think at this point, um, the government uh, recognizes the need to start pushing forward some kind of opening. Otherwise, uh, it creates a, a bigger and bigger issue with a, a vocal opposition. Um, and I think that's part of why we're, we're making the decision to start opening now because um, if it doesn't happen, I think there will be issues.
0: Mm. And, and of course, the impact on the economy is pretty grave. We've we've had a couple of things recently. We had that uh, quite extraordinary speech, really, that Premier Lee gave to, what, 100,000 or so local party officials urging them to get the economy reopened. There was also, you won't have seen it on the mainland probably, but over here in Hong Kong it's uh, had a lot of discussion. A big article uh, in the Economist about what's going wrong with mainland Chinese policies. What what's the impact been?
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting. You you know, you mentioned Li Kuchang, the, the the speech that he had. I think that that message was very strongly delivered to um, officials here, basically saying one way or another, we need to restart um, growth, but actually that that the speech or transcripts from it have pretty much been buried in the media here I mean, they've been put out but they've really been buried beneath a lot of other stories so i think you know the average person is not seeing necessarily any kind of political war going on right now in china but it's clear that there's a lot of discussion internally about you know what do we need to do going forward to actually get things pointed in the right direction because zero COVID, as it stands is incredibly um, damaging to the economy, and it's not clear that stimulus measures that have happened so far or that have been announced so far are going to be anywhere near enough to actually um, push things in the right direction. So I think there's a little bit of concern right now, at least in, in you know, some facets of the government.
0: Hey, the, the chatter here is here you know, goes even further than that. It says basically uh, President Xi and Premier Li aren't on the same page anymore in terms of how to deal with this in many ways, President, Premier is in a hole because the one thing that would allow the economy to grow again and achieve all the things he's talking about um, is not in its power to do, which is removing the zero COVID policy.
3: Yeah, and realistically, you know, when people ask me, OK, so what stimulus should happen uh, in order to, to make sure that the economy actually grows this year? My answer is really... Um, you know, Yes, we need to get rid of zero COVID, but I think even more important or, or more relevant than that is clear messaging on when the policy will change. Because right now, I think, especially for a lot of small businesses that don't have the power to negotiate having uh, staff in their factory or to, to be in some kind of closed loop operational uh, system right now, um, they just don 't know when that 's going to change and it's it's it 's really creating a, a massive issue with access to capital with being able to keep employees on with knowing what you know is going to happen next week or next month so just knowing what the opening plan is going to be would be a huge boon to to business here and to sort of overall economic stability and I think what 's frustrating for lee and for for others is that um We're not getting any kind of messaging around that. So we get we get some news saying, okay, yeah, June 1, things are going to open in Shanghai and be normal. But nobody is saying how it's going to happen. And so I think that that's the the real issue right now is there's a lack of clarity.
0: And are you seeing signs that foreign businesses are starting to leave and, and people moving out as a result of this?
3: Oh, I would say if you look at the, the expat community here in Shanghai, just sort of an informal sampling of, of you know people that I know and work with, probably nearly half have either said, you know, we we have gotten out, we have a ticket in the next three months, or we're thinking about at least taking some extended time outside of China mm. um, once things open up a little bit. So I do think there's going to be an exodus, and that's that's a real problem from a you know a management standpoint. I, mean, I think if you look at you know, actual corporate activity here. You know, companies have invested; they're going to continue to invest. But at the same time, um, the number of questions that I've seen about how do we further diversify our supply chain so that it's not reliant on on China, um, that, that discussion is happening a lot more. And it, you know, even though that companies have already been thinking about offshoring, I think they've now realized that you know, when you have a policy situation that can really effectively shutter your business. You you have to have alternatives. Mm -hmm. So I I do think that there's an, an issue there.
0: Ben, thank you very much indeed for that update. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Very quick look at the markets. The SX in Australia up 1%, Nikkei 225 in Japan's rallying 1.5%, the Cosby in South Korea also up 3 quarters of percent, and futures markets on the Hang Seng up 300 points. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Stay tuned for the COVID updates with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly fine and hot, apart from isolated showers. Maximum temperature is going to be about 32 degrees. Sunny periods and a few showers in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force. It's 29 degrees right now. 83% relative humidity. 8.32 and a half Here's Andy Shorosky with the half out news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials have reported
4: a second cluster of COVID infections involving a bar in Central. Eleven people who were at the Iron Ferries bar on Hollywood Road on the 21st of this month have tested positive. A cluster involving people who went to the Zentral Club in Lan Kwai Fong that same night has now grown to 15. However, the Center for Health Protection's Albert Au says the two outbreaks might not be related. He said 700 customers passed through the venues
2: that night. There may be a super spreader or an infectious person who had entered this bar on that night and causing the spread and also the outbreak. The earliest case had onset of disease on the twenty-first of May. However, we suspected that some of the cases might not be reported to us yet or they have not been tested yet. So we will see whether there will be further cases after the issue of
3: the compulsory testing order.
4: For the day, 237 cases were reported. Three men and a woman have been charged with the murder of a man who was stabbed to death in a Mong Kok flat on Friday. Ben Che has the details. The suspect's aged
3: between 20 and 37 will appear before Kowloon City magistrates this morning. The 46-year-old victim was found with multiple stab wounds in a flat in Portland Street shortly after midnight on Friday. He was declared dead at Kwon Wah Hospital soon after. Officers say the investigation is continuing and two other suspects have also been arrested. They include a 34-year-old woman suspected of assisting offenders. She has been released on bail. Police said earlier that they believe the case relates to a dispute over money.
4: Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has made an official visit to the east of the country for the first time since Russia attacked He said the situation for the army in some parts of the region was indescribably difficult. Mr. Zelensky saw some of the devastation as he walked around Kharkiv with local officials. He also presented awards to Ukrainian soldiers and thanked them for their service
0: it's a great honor for me to be here i want to thank each of you for your great service for risking your life for the sake of our country thank you for protecting our country's independence take care of yourselves glory to ukraine
4: meanwhile russia's foreign
0: minister